Hello, everybody, and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library. Three games at a time. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And, uh, you know, we, we just come off of a pair of episodes. One where the games were all quite bad. One where the games were pretty good. This is going to be one where, um, eh. The games are eh. Yeah, I mean, you could say we had a famine episode and a feast episode. And now we've got an episode that is sort of like somebody just put like six Hot Pockets down in front of you. And it's like, here you go. This is dinner. I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to turn down a Hot Pocket, but it's no bagel bites. It's no pizza rolls. It's okay. It's just kind of there. And uh, that's unfortunately... Uh, kind of how I think we feel about the games we're going to talk about today. We've got three games for you today. We've got On the Ball, which we were going to talk about last time, but we talked a lot about Out of This World last time. You guys didn't hear all of it because I had to cut like a good half an hour out of our deliberations on that one because it took us a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're also going to be talking about Imperium today, and we're going to be talking about Gun Force, or perhaps its full arcade title, Gun Force Battle Fire Engulfed Terror Island. Yeah, uh, that is quite a name. Maybe a name that's too good for a game like that one. So, uh, do you want to go ahead and just dive in? Let's talk about our first game. Keep your eye on it. On the ball, uh, what... What would you say this game is, Emmy? This game, it's a labyrinth game in the sense of the board game Labyrinth, where you have a marble in a maze that you tilt to get the marble through the maze. That's essentially this. It is fairly similar to the special stages from Sonic the Hedgehog 1. You have a marble, you have a ball. What you're doing is actually rotating the maze that's around the ball to roll the ball through it. On the Ball is a pretty straightforward name for this game, but uh, this game actually was an arcade game, and in Japan, it kept the name that the arcade version had for for the the Super Famicom release. Uh, That name was Camel Try, all one word, Camel Try, and I, for the life of me, can't figure out why that's the case. I was almost thinking maybe they were just trying to go for a general Arabian theme, but at least in this game, you've got a mascot character who has more of a Romani fortune teller look to her. Yeah, I'm not sure what they were going for. And the default ball that you're rolling through the maze looks like a crystal ball we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves though a bit i guess do you want to talk about um who made this game before we we talk anymore about the game itself this one was made by taito who i'm pretty sure we've talked about before they're a pretty well-known arcade developer from back in the day this uh, particular game was originally released on arcades on taito's f2 board according to giant bomb though i couldn't confirm that on uh, another website called system 16 which documents different arcade hardware Uh, If it was the F2, the game shares a board with games like Dino Rex, Final Blow, Growl, and Mega Blast. 
You ever heard of any of those? Because I sure haven't. So a few days ago, I would say no, but I actually just by complete happenstance watched a couple of my favorite streamers, the Retro Pals, Danny and Alex, play a bunch of Taito arcade games like two days ago. Oh. And they played both Camel Try and Dino Rex. Oh, well, okay. In that stream. Dino Rex is wild. You should actually look that one up. Okay. Because uh, it is one of the most buck wild looking games I have ever seen. I will do that then. That sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. The other games you mentioned I hadn't heard of, but yes to, to a couple of those. The original arcade cabinet used a rotary dial or rotational style joystick to control the maze's rotation. Curiously, the Super NES game is compatible with the Super NES mouse, but this isn't necessary as the standard controller seems to get the job done just fine. And honestly, I can't imagine it controlling better with the mouse. No, I can't either. I can't really see how that would help anything. It's not like this game controls badly. I think it controls just fine. So I just don't see what the mouse would add to it. This game was produced and designed by Kenji Kaido, who also did some of the graphics. Kaido would go on to have a pretty eventful career. At some point, he must have wound up at Sony, as not only did he develop the original Ape Escape for PlayStation 1, he would also have producer roles on Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. So, pretty prominent roles in some very important and well-regarded games for the PlayStation brand. Absolutely. And you can kind of see a little bit of like a similarity um, in like tone between Camel Try and Ape Escape. There's a kind of loosey-goosey sort of surrealism to it that uh, I think in some ways reminds me of late 90s Sega games. It also reminds me a lot, though, of some of the strange, fun games that showed up on the original PlayStation, like Ape Escape. Yeah, so uh, getting back to the game itself, the game's rotating mazes probably made this an obvious choice uh, as something to port to the SNES, taking advantage of the Mode 7 capabilities. It's not a terribly complex game, it's pretty unusual. I can't think of very many games like this, especially on the uh, NES or Super NES. The NES had games like Marble Madness, but I think that On the Ball might have more in common with something like the unfortunately named Irritating Stick on PS1. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Rather than gently nudging the marble by tilting the playing field or acting on the marble directly, the marble in this game is in a state of freefall. Uh, like you were saying, you have to rotate the maze around the marble to get it into the goal within the time limit. As you progress through the mazes, you'll encounter obstacles. Sometimes they're like bricks that you need to break through by colliding the marble into it after it's gained sufficient speed. There are also pinball-like bumpers and blocks that will cause you to immediately lose seconds off of your time. As your ball doesn't get invincibility frames whenever you run into an obstacle that shaves time off your countdown clock, you can find your clock getting just drained quickly if you're stuck up against an obstacle that is uh, constantly taking three seconds off every certain amount of frames so yeah that's rough the game has uh, four modes easy beginner expert and special each mode has its own number of mazes i managed to make it through most of the entire game i think i got up to the final one before i finally hit a wall pretty close to the end basically that maze it didn't introduce this concept but it liberally used um these red force fields that sort of push your ball in a certain direction and you need to gain 
enough momentum to push your way through them. I got to a point where the ball was slow enough that these things were basically just throwing me all around the maze at will, and I couldn't gain enough speed to counteract it. So I, I'm, and honestly, I'm not entirely sure what I was supposed to do about it. So I didn't make it quite to the thing you're talking about. I got stopped up by a similar maze that used the red force fields in the uh, the expert stages, which are kind of the group of stages below the special ones. Yeah, I was just like, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. You know, the game is really forgiving with letting you retry mazes. You don't really game over in this. You keep on trying the same maze over and over again until you get it. I tried that, um, you know, quite a few times and I just couldn't get through it. So that was sort of where I stopped with it. But I was having a good time up to that point. Yeah, I was having a pretty good time with it. The game does have a lot of mercy mechanics involved. The first time you actually run out of time in a maze, you'll have a, a chance to get a little bit more time to finish. It's sort of like in some pin ball games where you're given a number and then the machine will select another number at random and if it matches you get a little extra time and if not yeah then it's uh, game over though you do get a couple continues where you can start right off from the maze where, where you lost another thing is that it's important to realize that all of the mazes in a grouping i guess you would call it or in a mode yeah. are sort of of a set with each other because whatever time you have left when you complete a maze that carries on to the next maze and right. you get a certain amount of time back I'm not entirely sure if that is dependent on how your score is at that point, or if you just get a certain number of seconds back regardless. The game also kind of keeps you from getting into just like a state where it's setting you up to fail. If you're under a certain amount of seconds going into a maze, the game gives you a bonus chance that's basically like a slot machine where you can earn some extra time on your clock that way. I did appreciate that. I think this game is exactly what it looks like. It's a fun pick-up-and-play, very arcadey kind of twitch based challenge and looking at the arcade version of this the maps here seem to be exactly recreated in the super nintendo version the scrolling and the the rotation isn't quite as smooth on the super nintendo version as it was in the arcade version and you do lose a few things like there's some animation in the backgrounds of the arcade game but really you know this is truly that game and it, it is a good time there is really not a lot to it but yeah i like it for what it is you know i i think there's some fun weird touches in this like each set of levels has like an ending screen that shows like the marble which is not anthropomorphized at all just moodily like looking out over a field with a tree in it or like you know there's there's i think if you beat the like beginner levels you you get one where there's like the marble the blue marble you've been controlling and also a pink marble sitting next to it and it says they lived happily ever after and you know it's like that's just this weird little like thing that it's just fun I really liked those as well. I, I liked the little screens with the marble. I will say, like, the text accompanying most of them was often nonsensical to the point where I assumed, like, okay, a non-native English speaker, I think, translated yeah. this to English, but that's okay. I have also learned that that's pretty much par for the course with Taito. Their games are full <laughs> of that kind of just barely coherent-seeming, but basically nonsensical English text. Yeah, as soon as I saw one of those, I knew, okay, that's the cover for this episode. <laughs> but... Very good.
that's uh, on the ball. Anything else you you wanted to add to this discussion here? Because I think I've basically said everything I want to about it. I think I have as well. It's a neat little game. I'm not sure there's a whole lot to say about this because it is pretty simple. I think I'm probably ready to go to the list and try and figure out a place for this, which I think is going to be tough because I just don't even know what to compare this one to. No, me either, if I'm being honest. This is a pretty simple game. Works well, but doesn't really have a lot to it. Paperboy 2? I think it's better than Paperboy 2, but Paperboy 2 is also a a sort of strange, funky game that is very, very straightforward. Yeah, I would definitely put it above that. I think I'm going a good deal further up than that, to be honest with you. Me too. I was just kind of trying to find anything that I could compare it to. How do you feel about King of the Monsters at number 30? I think we're getting closer, but I don't think I would put this as high as King of the Monsters. Okay. I'm looking at something like Magic Sword, which is also, you know, a port from an arcade game. Okay. I think this is maybe a little bit more successful as a Super NES game than Magic Sword is. I can see that. So I would say maybe the range here for me then, somewhere between Magic Sword and Joe and Mac. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I can get behind that. So you're saying it it doesn't go higher than Joe and Mac? Yeah, I don't think it goes higher than Joe and Mac, but I think that it shouldn't go any lower than Magic Sword, certainly. We've got a lot of sports games between those two. We've got Super Soccer Champ, PGA Tour Golf, and Super Soccer at numbers uh, 35 through 37. Yeah. It feels weird comparing this to something like PGA Tour Golf because I can't make a blanket statement and just say like, oh, hey, this is better than that because it's going to depend on what kind of player you are. But again, this is our list, so we kind of have to be subjective. Obviously, you all know we are not really sports people. So I don't know, like, would you want to play this before playing PGA Tour Golf again, just to kind of start in the middle or middle-ish of that range that we set for ourselves? I would say yes. I really like how kind of pick up and play on the ball is. And I think it's very successful at translating this this sort of fun, kinetic arcade gameplay into something you can play on the Super Nintendo. My bigger thing is that I feel like, and I, I'm not sure how much this matters, honestly, for the rankings, but like in like, you know, a scenario where I was going to pick up one game or the other, I think I would definitely pick up on the ball first. But I may also get tired of it first and then want something with a little more depth to it. And PGA Tour Golf definitely does have that. I would probably give on the ball the edge, but, you know, not by that much. Yeah, I think I would too. So, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think I don't think on the ball goes above Super R-Type at number 34. So I think it all comes down to Super Soccer Champ. Okay. Does this go above or below Super Soccer Champ? Which is the sort of side view soccer game, right? That, that we both kind of like. Yeah. What do you think of like a matchup between on the ball or getting to play Super Soccer Champ with a second player? Oh, that is a good point. I would probably go with Super Soccer Champ in that case. I think that would probably be a more fun time. Given that, I would feel pretty comfortable putting this between Super Soccer Champ and PGA Tour Golf. Okay, so our new number 36? Yeah. Congratulations to On the Ball. Uh, I think that's a pretty good showing for it, personally. Going on from there, we're still rolling through November, rolling through like like our mysterious little marble friend. And what do we have next? Uh, next up, we've got another shooter. We've got Imperium. This is a 
vertically scrolling shooter that comes to us from publisher Victakai and developer Jorudan. And I think this might actually be our first look at a Victakai game. I didn't think it was, but looking back through our list, I was surprised to see, in fact, I, I don't believe we've we've covered any Victokai games on the Super Nintendo before now. Yep, so I guess that means we're going to be doing a bit of a deep dive into Victokai. They uh, published and also developed a number of games in their time as a video game publisher, although their history is much broader than video games. They were uh, founded in 1977 as a Japanese cable provider, Yaizu Cable Vision. They later adopted the name Victokai, with Vic meaning Valuable Information Communication, and Takai simply coming from the name of their parent company, uh, which was a natural gas utility to Kai Corporation. Throughout the 80s, the company would have its hands in all sorts of communications-related industries, but it wasn't until 1988 that they got into the video game business as well. According to Moby Games, their first title was as developer of the Sega-published arcade game UFO Senshi Yokochan. Victokai, in its somewhat brief time as a video game studio and publisher, has a reputation for some kind of quirky and sometimes unusual, but pretty memorable games. They produced and published Clash of Demon Head, as well as the Golgo 13 games, which are Golgo 13 Top Secret Episode and the Moffat Conspiracy, on the NES. A bold move, considering the heavy anime influence of Clash and the fact that Golgo 13 was based on a manga, not stuff that had hit the American mainstream when they were first released. As time went on, Victokai would publish more of its own games and work as a publisher for other studios. They were uh, pretty system agnostic, too, as their gameography would span not just Nintendo systems, but Segas and Sonys as well. Also, they released some games on PC and in the arcades. Some of their other games include Decap Attack on the Sega Genesis and FMV game Mansion of Hidden Souls on the Sega CD, which is not to be confused with the Mansion of Hidden Souls, which was actually the sequel to Mansion of Hidden Souls that came out on Sega Saturn. Just just put a two at the end of it, guys. Come on. Also, uh, Victokai was not involved in that sequel. It looks like Victokai pretty much pulled out of the video game industry sometime around 1997 as their last published game, which was Dark Rift for the N64, came out that year. As Victokai grew as a communications company, its video game development publishing arm likely just fell by the wayside. In April of 2000, Victokai merged with Takai Highway Net and became an internet service provider. Eventually, the company would merge back with its parent company before being spun off onto its own as Takai Cable Network, and the Vic Takai name would cease to exist. And uh, while we're on the topic of companies that are still around but not making games anymore, let's... uh Talk about Jorodon again. Yeah. Yeah, this actually isn't the first time we've brought up Jorodon, as they were the studio behind Zardion. So we have talked about them before. I don't want to spend too much time on them. Uh, their time in the video game industry was actually pretty vast, but their gameography is kind of on the light side. They also have a poorly documented history, and my usual sources can't seem to agree on basic company information, like the year it was founded or its first game. Uh, this is a problem apparently Jeremy Parrish also had in a recent video in his Game Boy Works, uh, where he talked about the Jorodon developed um, well, shoot, I forget the name of the game. It was something about bulldozers. Battle Bull. That game was called Battle Bull. Just uh, check out Jeremy Parrish's YouTube site, everybody. He, he knows everything. He's the greatest video game historian ever, and uh, he is completely my idol. Uh, Big Papa Parrish, as I like to call him. 
Anyway, uh, where were we? So uh, regardless of their beginnings, though, most seem to agree that their last game was a very strange cat-themed minigame collection for the Nintendo Wii called Sukiban Sacho Rena, a game that reportedly only sold about 100 copies in its first week, making it perhaps the worst-selling game ever to be released on the Nintendo Wii. That is quite an achievement. That's really something there. Honestly, that game sounds kind of fun. Like, I don't know why it would have sold so badly. Uh, for from reading up on it, the game sounds like it was pretty nonsensical and also not very fun at all. Well, fair enough then. Yeah, but I have not played it myself, so I can't really uh, attest to that. But yeah, just just think of like the just worst shovelware game you could possibly imagine for the Wii. This game sold less than that. That's rough. You know, there were some great games for the Wii, but man, there were also a lot of those bad minigame collections, weren't there? Yeah, and a Wii retrospective is a series we will never do because we would never, ever finish. I'm not even sure if the entire Wii library is all that well documented because there was just so much stuff coming out for it. Getting back to Jorudan, as I mentioned the last time we brought them up, uh, Jorudan now manages a travel site that helps Japanese commuters navigate transit systems. I looked around their translated website, but didn't find any mention of video games, even in their company history section. Maybe after a flop like Sukuban Saicho Rena, they just decided they didn't even want to bring up that history anymore. Who knows? And I guess that brings us to Imperium. <laughs> yeah, uh, we put off talking about it for long enough. So this is a vertically scrolling shooter. We've played a number of these on the system. I feel like it's an incredibly dismissive thing to say, this is one of those. But it kind of is. Like, there's not really a lot that's distinctive or stand out about this game versus the other games in its genre that, that we've played so far. I mean, there's a few things that really set this game apart from what you would typically find in the genre. One of those things is that you only get one life. If your ship explodes, that's it. It's game over, and it just kicks you right back to that title screen. No checkpoints, no retries, none of that. Uh, I guess that's one way to avoid the post-death power loss death spiral that we're always complaining about. Now, to be fair, this game does give you, like, five hit points. Yes. So you don't die as soon as you get hit by something. Effectively, the hit points sort of take the place of, of multiple lives. It's not as extreme as it seems like it is, even though I do wish the game gave you continues. Well, I think once you're at the title screen, if you got there after dying, you do get a continue option. Oh, that's true, actually. That's true. I never actually selected that, so I don't know if it actually does have the death spiral problem that we find in a lot of these games, because I, I never tried it. I just always started from the beginning. This game also has kind of a different power-up system and a different way of, of using what would be like the score counter in, in other games. Yeah, uh, this game doesn't really track high scores. Instead, it keeps track of your experience points, which you gain by shooting down other ships. When you reach a certain threshold, which the game is always telling you, which is kind of nice, uh, what that threshold is, you level up. And when you do, you get a health refill. I think you get another bomb to add to your reserve. The bombs are just like screen-clearing attacks that send forth a bunch of missiles at your enemies. And you also get one weapon power-up. You start out with one basic weapon, and then... The the first three times you level up, you add another weapon to your arsenal. And once you have all four, then your weapons start leveling up to their more powerful forms, which is kind of neat. It creates a system in which 
you're rewarded for more proficient play, so you have more of an incentive, other than high score, to actually try and shoot down as many enemies as possible. Where I think this sort of goes wrong, though, is in the fact that, first of all, you don't really have any agency over what weapons are getting powered up. It seems to just always power up your base weapon first and then power up any weapons in sort of the order that you got them that are at a lower level than your base weapon at that point. I really only found one weapon all that useful, which is the first weapon that you get after leveling up. Uh, It's sort of a spread beam. I found it useful because I could be just out of an enemy's line of fire and still be able to attack them in a lot of cases. So it just sort of became the weapon that I used pretty much exclusively. And because I couldn't actually put all of my experience points into powering up that weapon, it felt kind of frustrating. And even more frustrating still, if I got hit while using that weapon and it was powered up, I lose those levels. So my weapon goes back to being its uh, sort of base form. They're not bad ideas. I don't know how they'd be better implemented, but I do feel like there's something missing here that would make this game you know, work a little bit better and be a little bit more fun and distinctive. If leveling up gave you a bonus point, like in the way that Gradius does, where you can sort of yeah. choose what weapon you're going to power up after getting it, I think that would have made this a lot better. Yeah, that's true. I would really like that. As it stands, I had a pretty good time playing this. The graphics are decent. They're not amazing. Uh, Music is good. I appreciate that there is something kind of a little different going on here with how this game distributes power-ups and the experience point system means that if you get hit a few times, as long as you just play well, you can claw back some of what you've lost. I don't know. I found this game kind of aggressively middling in a way. I'm not really sure why. I don't really think that there's anything exactly wrong with it. I wasn't terribly impressed with this game. Yeah, I mean, it's the problem that we've had with a lot of shooters. There's just so many of these things on the system, and a lot of them do have some really cool hooks or just really great presentation that makes them a lot more engaging. This one just doesn't quite live up to those. Like, yeah. again, it's it's fine. It's it's far from the worst shooter we've oh, played, played on the system. Absolutely, but, yeah. But it's also just nowhere near the cream of the crop. It is spectacularly middling, I would say, which yeah. honestly seems to kind of be par for the course for Jorodon, honestly. It does, yeah. Yeah, and as a result, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this one. You are playing as a Gundam, by the way. You're playing as like 100% like an off-brand Gundam. Like, it just looks exactly like a Gundam. I wish that was a little more visible from the character sprite, honestly. Like, you can't really see that it's a robot man that easily from from the uh, the character sprite that you have in the game. It's mostly just visible in the, the opening. The, the actually very nice opening story animation before before the game starts. Letting us know that this game is taking place in the far-off year of 2027. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I think I talked a little bit about the, uh, the bomb power-ups that you get, which basically sends a barrage of missiles at all your enemies and essentially clears the screen of most of them. Yeah. Um, I found these kind of essential in certain boss encounters. Well, yeah, because the game likes to put a bunch of stuff on the screen, like almost to the degree of being like a bullet hell game, where there's going to be like multiple things firing spreads of projectiles at you from different parts of the screen. And yeah, having the bombs available to kind of clear out enough of those that you can maneuver around is really, really useful. 
This game is fine. It's but it, but it's only fine. I'm not sure I've got much else to say. I'm I'm probably ready to rank this one if you are. Uh yeah, I think I am. I mean, as we said, it certainly doesn't touch the 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 heights of say a Space Mega Force at number nine. <laughs> no, it, it's also far far better than say an Earth Defense Force at number a hundred and two. I'm trying to find something a little bit more middle of the road, maybe a little bit higher than middle of the road. Because this game is doing some stuff that that is is pretty commendable. I'm looking at something like a Blazion at number 16. I'm a little surprised that Blazion's that high now that I'm looking at it, but I won't dwell too much on that right now. I don't think that the gimmick of this game hits that mark, but what's the next shooter after that? Super R-type. Well, no, actually, the next one after that's Darius Twin, so I think we're going to go down from there, too. Yes, yeah. Here's Super R-Type on this list. Uh, number 34. Okay, Right below yeah. Joe and Mac. Gradius 3 at 32, and Super R-Type at 34. And yeah, I think that probably we're kind of getting into the area that, that would maybe be appropriate for this like i would still probably go a little bit lower like in some ways i would say this game feels to me almost like it's sort of the the vertically scrolling shooter equivalent of like super double dragon it's good and it's got some good ideas once you kind of dig into it a little bit but like you kind of wish it was more but um i'm i'm willing to entertain going up from there if you think that it should up from super double dragon yeah yeah i was kind of looking at a range like between like phalanx at 58 and uh super r type at 34 but that's a pretty big chunk of the list Pretty big range so we're we're still in there with super double dragon like i would say i think this game is better than draken at 42 it's put together as like a, a very playable package in a way that i think you probably can't say about Draken, as especially once you kind of dig further into that game. Um, so we got Rival Turf above Draken. And, you know, Rival Turf, I think, is a little bit more shoddily put together, but like there's so much more personality there. We're like Imperium sort of gives the impression that there's going to be that. Yeah, but then once you get into the game itself, it really doesn't feel like it has much of an identity at all would you put this above rival turf you know probably not honestly like i i can see this as like a decent point of comparison but i do think i had more fun with rival turf and i would probably recommend that game to people wanting that genre of game a little more readily than than i would imperium for anybody wanting a shooter yeah i would be happy putting it between rival turf and draken if you feel like that's that's a good place for it i think i'm good with that i think a new 42 is a perfect place for imperium like i was saying just a little bit above middling perhaps that's a good spot for it yeah yeah i think so well you know that's a big glow up for for jordan then because we have zardy on at number 91 so yeah this is this is definitely a way more successful game than that so ready to move on to our final game for today all right let's do it gun force battle fire engulfed terror island i was greatly amused by that title and it was the first and last time this game amused me in any way yeah, that's pretty much true. Folks, uh, do you like Contra? Do you like Contra but wish that your character was a lot slower and that the, just the general pace of the game was really, really sluggish? Do you like Metal Slug but wish the character designs were less interesting? Well, have I got a game for you!
Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead and unfold the production details of this game. This is another IREM joint. They are the developer and publisher. We have talked plenty about IREM at this point. Uh, Maybe we'll go over them again in the future, but uh, I'm not feeling it right now. They're listed as the developer of the original arcade game. However, uh, Bits Studio seems to have been the developer of this port to the Super Nintendo. Actually, not the first we've seen of their handiwork either. Bits' name has come up before in the ridiculous cyber sports debacle that was Space Football One-on-One. This is a British studio founded by a guy named Fawad Katan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, in 1984. Actually, no, I'm going to say Fuad because uh, he goes by the nickname Fu, according to his uh, LinkedIn profile. Okay. Fuad Katan is also the founder of Bits' parent company, Playwise. Uh, they worked on a lot of licensed titles, including several Spider-Man games for the Game Boy and Game Gear. Uh, if you want to see their full gameography, you can actually check out their website uh, via the Wayback Machine. Their last games were... <laughs> actually, I'm listing a couple of their final games because it's kind of funny here. Die Hard Vendetta in 2002, Rogue Ops in 2003, and Constantine in 2005, all for like the uh, PS2, Xbox, oh, wow. maybe GameCube. Was that, was that Constantine based on the... The Keanu Reeves, John Constantine movie? It sure was. Oh boy, okay. Uh, They also made some poker game in 2006 for the PS2 before Playwise sold off all the company's assets. And uh, that was the end of them. Anyway, uh, this is a 2D platform run-and-gun game, although run is maybe a bit generous here. Lurch and gun? Have we made a joke like that before? I feel like we have. We must have, but it's a good one to make again, and it could not be more true than it is about this game. This game runs pretty choppily, uh, both the character themselves and also uh, just the, the scrolling. This game does not feel very fluid, and... I admit, I I know this is the thing about myself. I have a bit of a bias against UK games, games that that come from from England. So I assumed once I saw who had done this port that probably the arcade game was, you know, a lot more fluid and a lot more technically accomplished than this. And that this was just sort of a, a bad port. It turns out I was wrong. I've watched footage of the arcade version of this and uh, it does not look any better. The explosions are a little bit more impressive looking, but as far as it goes, this does look basically exactly like the same, the same game. And uh, that is not a compliment in this case. This game is incredibly sluggish. Um, your character, who doesn't move all that speedily, does move faster than the screen scrolls. So, like, there were times where I felt like I was in an auto-scroller section, but really <laughs> what was happening is the screen was just trying to catch up to where I was. Yeah, um, yeah. It controls more or less like Contra. You can aim your gun in a few different directions, but yeah, everything just feels imprecise. I feel like sometimes my bullets don't quite go the length of the screen, and other times they do. There are... Um, Vehicles, which are really weird and cumbersome to operate, you have a a fire button and a jump button. You use the jump button to get in and out of vehicles, but when you enter a vehicle, your character doesn't do like the full jump that he normally does. He just kind of does a little hop into the vehicle, and it it, it looks weird. It feels weird. Your character has a little bit of um, space to move when he's operating a vehicle. Like you can move a little bit to the right, and your character will move as far right on the sort of vehicle platform as he can before the vehicle will start to move to the right. And that's kind of weird. 
some vehicles have weapons attached to them, but you can get in the vehicle without actually getting into like the sort of gunner seat of the vehicle. Uh, you die when you get hit by any enemy fire at all, and, and getting into a vehicle does not always protect you from that. There's just all sorts of really wonky things about this game that just sort of operate completely counterintuitively to what I would expect. I, I There are unused buttons on the controller. I don't know why they didn't just map a button to, like, getting in and getting out of a vehicle. No, I don't get it either. And I also think that... Much like in Contra or Metal Slug or any any kind of run-and-gun game like this, there are a lot of weapons you can pick up. I found most of the weapons to not be very good in this game. Uh, there's a flamethrower that you get, and the flamethrower seems like so much of a liability as far as making it possible to actually like hit things before they can hit you that I dreaded anytime I accidentally picked up the flamethrower. The fact that this game makes the flamethrower, which should usually be the coolest weapon you can have in a game like this bad it should be a, a condemnation enough but yeah no i totally hear what you're saying though because when i was using the flamethrower you have to hold down the fire button to kind of get the full length of your fire beam flame i don't know what you would actually call that you can sort of like just hold it down and switch the direction that you're firing in but the game doesn't register like the space in between like one angle of fire and another as as a hurt box to enemies. So like it, it was really weird. Like if I had an enemy that was like not quite at 45 degrees from me, maybe just like a little bit above, but not directly above me, I can't just hit them by switching between a 45 degree angle and straight above. Yeah, right. Because the game isn't registering that as hitting the enemy. It, it's strictly either at that 45-degree angle or right above me. So, you know, like, that was another thing that just felt really bad. Like, a game like Contra would not do that. That's sort of just indicative of how sloppily put together this whole game feels. I mean, everything you know from a Contra game, this game also does, but worse. I can see really no reason to recommend anybody play this game. Like, the character you play as has basically... There's no personality. He's a guy in, like, armor that looks exactly like the enemies that are also wearing armor. Which becomes a problem in some of the vertically scrolling areas. First of all, jumping is so floaty and weird that the vertical areas, I was just like, okay, I might as well just die here. But the other thing is that, like, it responds you seemingly in random places in those vertical areas. So there would be like a few seconds where like, I'm not even sure where my character is. I'm not even sure which one of these things I am right now. It's so easy to just accidentally die in those areas because of, of where it just sort of randomly puts you. It's just not well put together. The one thing that's maybe valuable about this game is that it can, I think, make you appreciate how excellent something like Contra 3 or any of like the Metal Slugs are when you play this and see how badly this kind of game can go wrong. We could lay some of the blame at Bits' feet for this one, but I mean, like you said, the arcade game wasn't any better. And Irem did nothing to like build a story or a world around this. The character is unnamed. The bad guys are unnamed. They literally just made a video game and said, don't worry about it. It's just a video game. They could have just called this video game the game. Although, I mean, Gun, Gun Force is an almost equally generic title. So I guess well done there. You know what? I do have one bit of praise I can give this game. The sound effect that plays when your guy gets shot and dies is hilarious. 
I never stopped finding that funny. His ladder climbing animation is pretty hilarious as well. Oh, yes, the ladder climbing animation. Yeah, no, I showed that to my partner because I was like, you have to see this. It's so like he looks like he's just glitching out as he goes up the ladder. You know, it's like they just took the sprite for him with his like back to the the camera and just sort of wiggled it back and forth. Some of the bosses are all right. But they're pretty much just contra bosses. Like they really are just contra bosses. The first boss is literally just the wall boss from Contra, except you're below it instead of in front of it. It's maybe like the closest they got to being contra but still didn't quite get up to the level of contra so yeah clearly we don't think very highly of this one and i guess we're gonna find a place for it on the list now unless you had anything else to no i think that's everything that i've got to say about this one uh i'd say let's go to the list and find somewhere to put it so you know when i think of side-scrolling shooters that didn't quite do much for us i'm thinking of something like zardion at 91 which is pretty low i think zardion there's a lot more effort yeah on display there i mean i think zardion has cool world building and personality and i it, it the the original ideas it has are not really well executed but at least it has them um, so yeah i would probably go down from there so a little bit below that we got super tko boxing at 92 and then skull jagger at 93 how do you think about this in comparison to 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 those games i think i'm just gonna go straight down to skull jagger we called that game kind of cynical or at least i did you know and it's sort of you know like presuming that it could just make a franchise like this whole cloth but at least again they were going for something and they were trying to create something yeah which is definitely more than you can say for this this just feels lazy honestly i would say this goes below skull jagger at, at 93 now we're getting into the real dregs here because we got home alone 2 below Skulljagger. We could compare this to the other bits title on this list, Space Football One-on-One at 95, or uh, sorry, 96. You know, honestly, I'd probably rather play Space Football One-on-One than this game. I I mean, again, like, Space Football has an interesting idea. It's just a complete mess. And this, like, this game is a complete mess, and it's not interesting. They could have made this much, much better, and it still just would have been a less interesting Contra. So I'm going to say, I think WWF Super WrestleMania at 99 is probably the floor for this one i think that is probably a worse game than this you've got something like david crane's amazing tennis at 98 and i think that like it's an incredibly limited game but what it does it does better than what gun force is doing yeah yeah i think so honestly i think i could go above or below wwf super wrestlemania i I think bill lane beer's combat basketball is legitimately a worse game than this at number 100 let's go ahead and put this below wwf super wrestlemania then because like the more i think about it i think probably that game's a little more successful at being a wrestling game than this is at being a contra knockoff neither of us are wrestling fans in the slightest and neither of us have the patience to try and figure out a wrestling game as complex as that one so maybe part of it is just us i'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt on that but uh this game is just miserable so yeah i think that sounds good to me so that would make gun force our new number 100 game (laughs) yeah no gun force i think is an authentically bad game yeah i wouldn't recommend anybody play it like it's not even bad in a fun way it's it's really just kind of a, a dead fish of a game right there Kind of a rough note to end the episode on, but that's uh, that's where we're at. So what do we have in store next time for the fine folks at home? 
Well, what we have in store next time? More football. We got John Madden Football 93. That's kind of interesting. This is the first like yearly sports upgrade game that we've had. So I'm curious to see how different it is from the first John Madden Football game that we played. Uh, Then we got Cyberspin, which... I'm not sure if that's a tennis game or maybe a golf game. I I don't actually know. Uh, And then we've got Chuck Rock. All right. That's a game I have at least heard of. So (laughs) I don't think I've heard of Cyberspin, but Chuck Rock, I'm a little bit familiar with. So I'm curious to play that one. See how it is. Yeah. And uh, boy, after that one, we've got something really special coming up. We sure do. I am very much. I kind of can't wait to get into it. (laughs) All right, folks. So that is going to do it for this episode. As always, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. No, I think you're right. You know, there were those games that just came out at, like, Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever. It's like... I didn't even know about that. Nobody knows about those. Yeah. Remember like the Imagine series where just like imagine every single possible thing. Imagine monkeys. Okay, but now imagine party monkeys. Can you imagine that? I can't. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Imagine babies. Um, yeah, but but then imagine party babies. Yep. Yeah. Just put party in front of it. You're good. That's a whole yeah. new game. Maybe it was crazy monkeys instead of party monkeys. I don't know. 